Thanks for listening to Faith in the Fast Life. I'm Nick Orda. I'm your host. On this show, we look to break down the stereotypes of what the Christian looks like to the world by receiving testimony of action sports athletes and other athletes and just individuals across the world. You can find us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and fastlifeministries.com to give. Hope you enjoy this episode. All right. So welcome. This morning we have uh, Matt Manzari, uh, as the Instagram page says, the wolf within, which I've always wanted to ask why it says that. So I'm going to start right out. Matt Manzari, professional wake skater, extreme man of God, incredible testimony, uh, become a great friend over the last couple of years um, in some great circles. And Matt, you're just always doing great things for the kingdom of God in the action sports realm and just reaching out to people. So I got to know first and foremost, what is the wolf within? You got to, you have to explain that to me guys. Man, when that, you go that's, to, that's what, funny because I, I don't get asked that too often and a lot of people know, but it's, you know, it would have to be like, a, I guess a prior knowledge. So back in my wake skate days, when social media first came out, like this probably, I don't know, peak of my career to 2007 or 2008, there was like the little about me thing. And I just had, it's just this Indian parable on there that said, you know, inside every man, there's two wolves uh, that are fighting. One represents, you know, hate and slander and evil and deception. And the other represents goodness and faithfulness and truth. And, you know, basically you got two wolves, a good and evil. And the one that wins is the one you feed the most. Gotcha. And, um, and then that was like kind of where it came from. And then like, it was really I think Scott Byerly that really like it made it bigger. Cause I like had put at the bottom, like Wolf within. And then it was like, Scott started being like, Hey, um, Scott started being like, Hey, um, yeah, you're the wolf within like, that's your nickname. And he, like, I remember going to a toe jam, uh, which was his like pro tour for wake skating at the time. And, um, he, yeah he started calling me wolf within and they're doing it over the announcer. And then everybody in the industry for a long time just called me the wolf or wolf within. And it kind of became like my nickname. Gotcha. So for the listeners that don't know, you know, Matt was a professional wake skater. I would still say he probably is, but he's doing a little bit different <laughs> capacity. We're not competing much with those kind of things. Um, I had explained to Ben here in the studio a little bit about wake skating, uh, riding behind a boat or in a cable, not strapped in, um, typically wearing tennis shoes on grip tape, kind of like a skateboard, and Matt was phenomenal at it. Um, him and Reed used to tear some awesome stuff up, and uh, just great to have you here, Matt. So tell us more. Thank you. You know, we know what the Wolf Within is. We, uh, I've, I've discovered that. I think it's great. Um, let's, let's get into your story. I mean, it's such a, such an yeah. impactful story, and just God has such a great purpose for you. Um, I'd love to start start with the roots, like, you know, not just the accident and the things that happened, but, you know, tell us about Matt Mazzari and, and growing up and getting your professional career. Like how did, how did you get there? Yeah. So for me, like, uh, you know, I have kids ask me all the time, like, Hey, how do you go pro? Uh, you know, in, in any action sport, whether it's skateboarding or BMXing or whatever. And I say, well, first of all, you don't, you know, for me, I didn't start doing this with the idea or the hope of going pro one day. Like, first of all, you do it cause you love it. That's why we do this. And so I was a little kid that loved to skateboard and in the, in the wintertime snowboard and uh, wakeboard eventually. And then when I discovered wake skating, it was like, whoa, I could combine kind of skateboarding and wakeboarding and these two things I love. And um, and it, the plan wasn't to go pro. The plan was just I was a kid having fun. And I mean, yeah, if you ask any 13-year-old on a baseball field or a skate park, what do you want to do when you grow up? you know, when, would you like to do this for a living? Obviously that's like the biggest dream. Um, and really my life changed in 2000 or not 2014 when I was 14. And, um, when I was 14, my dad told me this story of this guy named Roger. And he said, Matt, did you know that for hundreds of years, we measured how long it takes for a person to run a mile. And it was a known fact by runners and coaches alike that the four minute mile was just not humanly possible. Uh, but then in May 1954, Roger Bannister broke that sub four minute mark. And, you know, in just six years after that, by 1960, we had over 30 runners do it. And since then, we've had hundreds of runners do it. Now we've even had some talented high school kids do it. And just to put that in perspective for everybody, just just perspective for a minute on a four minute mile. 
I'm pretty sure it takes me 12 minutes. About 12 <laughs> minutes to run a mile because I absolutely despise running. So I hate to yeah. interject there, Matt, but I just I got to put it into perspective for everybody. It's considered a, a, a light jog. <laughs> I, I'll take it. I'll be happy with that. So anyway. But, you know, yeah, so as a kid, like, I remember just thinking, like, I'm not a runner. But if you said, hey, run that way as fast as you can, I'll time you. To me, there's nothing more physical than that. But there was this realization that maybe even something like, hey, run that way as fast as you can, I'll time you, is much more mental than physical. And maybe God had created us in ways to do and be more than we had ever imagined. And we're so busy comparing ourselves to the people around us mm-hmm. that our biggest competitor is looking back at us in the mirror. Yep. And I, I remember as a 14-year-old kid who liked action sports being like, man, maybe this whole like view of athletes that I have is backwards. You know, I thought these athletes were these like special God gifted, you have it or you don't, you got it or you don't type person. And maybe they're just regular people that changed their expectations that changed their thinking. And, um, and I realized like at a pretty young age, like, man, I could be someone in this sport. And why do I set these boundaries that really aren't there? And so I started practicing tricks on the trampoline, getting muscle memory that, you know, I had never done and nobody else in the world had ever done. But I got in the mindset of like, I'm not even going to be excited when I do this because it's a common thing. There are things that everybody does or novice tricks. It's like getting excited over getting up or doing an ollie when in fact I had never actually done them and nobody else had. And pretty quick, I had a handful of tricks that nobody else could do and um, some, you know, had some stuff on video and. Um, I got a call from a small company in Oregon called Nike and and they were like, and they were like, Hey, we're breaking into the action sports scene. And, you know, you've definitely caught our attention and, you know, we'd love to start you out with a shoe contract. And then six months later, I got a clothing contract. I was head to toe with them. And I mean, when you're like just turning 15 and you get a contract from a company like that, it was like, Oh, this is what I do for a living now. And I'm not going to college. And I'm like, this is the route I'm on. And I would love to tell you, I was this like, talented, God-gifted athlete. But really, I changed my thinking. I changed my belief of who God had created me to be. And I changed my thinking and it changed my life. And, so um, 14 years old, Nike, that, that was when like the Nike SB or Nike 2, was it 2.0? 6, 6.0. 6.0, so, that's right. So that's, a, that's an interesting story uh, real quick. So Nike, you know, this goes to belief versus truth, not from an ethical standpoint, but from like a marketing standpoint, from like, it doesn't matter what people believe, uh, what, what's true about your company, but it's what people see and what they believe about it. So Nike was always a jock company, you know, from when you were a kid. Yep. And in the, in the 90s, they tried to break into skateboarding and it went horrible. Like they made a skate shoe, they got kicked out of the industry, like Thrasher magazine put a full page thing, like who does this jock company think they are basically getting in our industry, like they got another thing coming. So they pulled back and were like, whoa, Apparently, skateboarding is super core. So they created the Nike SB line, which is Nike Skateboard, like almost 10 years later. And the idea of that was like, hey, this industry is very delicate and very core. And we need, it doesn't matter that the truth is we are still the same big corporate company. We need to get the kids to believe that we're the little guy that cares. So they went, they sponsored, you know, amateur riders. They didn't really get any big name pros other than Paul Rodriguez to help them build this idea out. And Nike SB had strict rules. It could never be sold in a skate shop that had more than two locations. So like it wouldn't be in the PacSuns and the Zoomies and it would be in your local little guy skate shop. And they went in with this mentality of like, hey, you're buying blank boards that your buddy in town is making through his little garage company and you're buying Nikes because that's the little little guy. And it worked. Like before you knew it, we had Nike SBs take over the world of skateboarding like everybody was the nikes you walked into any little local skate shop it was sb it was like the cool core company when in reality the truth is they were the same company that got laughed out of the industry five years ten years before so when they wanted to break into other action sports they were like hey skateboarding is so delicate we if we start sponsoring mountain bikers and snowboarders and wakeboarders and wake skaters like surfers we're going to get a lot of flack from the skateboard community so leave SB, we're going to create 6.0 and sponsor all of action sports. Gotcha. And, um, and so that's what I came in on is when they broke into that uh, branch, I was their first wake athlete and they loved weight skating because we wore the shoes in the water. 
you know, they like surfing and wakeboarding, you know, but that's a sticker on the board. Whereas wake skaters, we had Nikes on. So right. that was a big draw for them. So tell me, so 15 years old, you get that contract. Where were you? You did, did you grow up in church? Did you, were you a believer then? Where, where was your walk with Jesus at this point in time? Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm getting a text. I need to just really quick respond to on the podcast. So I was a, I was a Christian, um, or I would say as a Christian, but it's funny. So this weekend with Easter, we were talking about this of like in a generation where we just got a bunch of stimulus checks, like, you know, everybody, everybody is trying to communicate like, Hey, Jesus died for your sins. And it was a free gift, but our generation is kind of used to free gifts. Like we live in America where we get free stuff all the time. We just got free money from the government. We got, you know, there's an entitlement in our generation. So the, I guess the question isn't, have we comprehended the gift of Jesus, but it's really a question of kingship. Like who is every king has a kingdom and every kingdom has a king. And in the kingdom of our own worlds, who's the king on the throne? Who's guiding our steps and guiding our life? Like, because I know for me, the times I've gotten myself in trouble, it's because the wrong king was on the throne, which is usually me. Yep. And so at that time, I would consider myself a Christian. I believed in Jesus. I believed in God. I thought um, I thought I appreciated it. But looking back, when I looked at the daily actions of my life, it was like, you know, I was a 15 year old kid that, you know, got a big sponsor and then pretty quickly after had a signature board, uh, through at that time through, uh, Gator boards. And then eventually, uh, Connolly CWB. Um, I had Arnett sunglasses. I had, um, Malibu boats. I had sea Like I, I was building this brand through who I was and God put on my heart, like, Hey, where do I and others fit into this you world? Like, even though if you asked me, yeah, I was a Christian athlete, like my daily focus was how do I get more money, more sponsors, more exposure, more me. And it was like, where did God and others fit into that world? So I'd say, yeah, I, I believed in God. Um, and I probably would have told you I was a strong Christian. But when I look at the kingship in my life, I very much was guiding my life. I was very much focused on myself and not loving God and others, which is the great command. So I think that that's interesting as you as you speak about the me, me, me world that so many of us, it's so easy to get caught up in that. It, whether you're a, a true walking with Jesus Christian every single day, like it's easy to fall into that. I also love that earlier you talked about the story your dad told you about the runner and you talked about we measured ourselves against other people and we still do that today. We call it the comparison trap, right? That we get stuck in the comparison mm -hmm. trap. So were you experiencing a little bit of that too? You come in the industry, you're looking over at the oh, other guys sure. saying, oh, well, he got a sponsorship from this and he's got that. Well, I got to get that. I got to go after this next level after because we get caught in a comparison trap. We look over at the next guy, you know, the, what's that old saying? Keeping up with the Joneses, right? We've got, oh, we got to oh try to goodness, keep yeah. up and we see it so much in this world of, of, oh, well, they got that. So I got to buy a new truck because they got a new truck or they got a new boat. So mm -hmm. I got to get a new boat. But at the end of the day, we should just be looking in, to God, not to ourselves. Yeah. Right? And, and I think the issue with the comparison trap is that we believe that the end of the comparison trap is fulfillment. Right. And yep. we're hoping that the thing that if we had what they had would fulfill us. And I was definitely caught up in that. Like my identity should have been in Christ and as a son of God, regardless of if I had you know, no sponsors. And I was a regular high school kid that worked at Wendy's or if I was the best in the world, it didn't matter, but it wasn't like, I told myself that I knew that I was a child of God, but the reality was my value and the weight and my fulfillment. I was definitely in that comparison trap where I remember I went through long periods of my life where it just seemed like if I only had this, then yeah. if I only had this then. And I remember, so when I first was like getting better. It was like, man, if I could just get a big sponsor, like a big, like, you know, uh, I was negotiating with vitamin water and Mountain Dew at the time. And, and then I got Nike kind of out of nowhere. And it was like, okay, so I had that. And then as soon as I got that, it was like, well, I haven't had a cover yet. Like really mm -hmm. like, you know, you get a cover. That means the magazine, like 
back in print mag days, that was huge. Was the some of the kids these know, days don't also, even realize that. <laughs> yeah. Now it's all social media, but our whole value, like my whole contract structure, I didn't even have a winning incentive. Like Nike was ahead of the curve with that. Actually, they they kind of trajected my career in that direction, where they said. Um, you know, most of the in-industry sponsors gave winning incentives. If you win this contest, you get X amount of money or we match the prize money, whatever. Whereas Nike was like, hey, we looked at these wakeboard contests. You might get, you know, a thousand people, but probably half those people know the riders or are family and friends. Um, you know, Wakeboard Magazine has over 100,000 subscriptions. So if you get a Nike sticker in a magazine, 100,000 people see it versus 500 to 1,000. So... That made me then, as I got more and more and more sponsors, I structured all of my contracts that way with photo incentives. I get paid this much for a half page, this much for a full page, this much for a two page, this much for a cover. So at that time, I was really media driven. Um, and I was like, man, when you get a cover, that's like, that's it. That means that you are the guy that month that they had the coolest photo of. And then I got a cover and it was like, next month, someone else is on the cover. Okay, well, if I could win trick of the year, that's like the no politics, most core award of our industry. Because if you get that, it's like no politics, like whoever did the baddest trick this year is going to, and then I won trick of the year. And it's like, you have these highs that are temporary happiness, but joy is eternal. And there's no joy in, in the comparison game. Cause as we play that comparison game, we get the new truck or we get the new house or we get the dream girl, whatever it is. And if all of our weight is in that thing, we're happy for a time and you were like, this is cool. But now we're looking for that thing to solve all our problems. Always looking for and what's that next. Happens, yeah. That happens so much, especially in relationships. You know, when I bring up like the girl or the guy or whatever it is that um, there's so many women are like, if I could just find Mr. Right or men that are like, if I could find that good girl. And um, you know, I think your spouse is so important, but it, the pecking order is God, right. your spouse, your kids, everybody else. Yeah. And, um, God first. and, and it's like, if we have a bunch of baggage and problems that we're looking for somebody to fix, like, Oh, if I had the relationship they have, that would fix it. If I could just get a girl like that, that would fix it now, rather than coming in and being able to, in a healthy way, pour into that person and love that person. Now we're just saying, Hey, I can't carry this. You carry it. And then it's super dysfunctional. And, um, so I like, you know, my message to single people out there in the comparison game is like, when you're looking around at these couples that seem so happy and you're not happy, like loneliness sucks. And I get that. And we all have um, our struggles every day and that could be part of the struggle, but you know, yes, I think the companionship is important, but if you're not content with who you are as a child of God, with him being enough, mm-hmm. you're not going to be happy with somebody else. And and the same thing and all the other stuff, you know, you're not going to be happy with the new truck or the new house or the new, you know, you're not going to have joy. Yep. You know, you if might have a temporary If you're looking to high. somebody else to fulfill you, you're always going to be let down because they're human. And so you're, yeah. you'll always be let down by other people. So you have to look to God to be fulfilled. He is your fulfillment. He is, gives you life, right? So mm-hmm. super cool conversation already. Like I, I just love that. God takes things in, in certain directions and we're, I feel we're falling a little bit away from the story of Matt. So I want to jump back to it. We've, we've got through, um, you know, your sponsorship, getting the cover. Did you ever get the cover by the way? Uh, yes, I, I did get a cover. I got a couple covers of Alliance Wakeskate and then, and then of, uh, the wakeboard mag too. So it was, it was good. Did it fulfill you? Did it give you of everything you expected it would? No, not at all. Like it was, it's just what I'm saying. Like, I was like, Oh no way. I got this shot this month. And you know, Garrett says it's going to be cover sick. And then it was like, Oh, this is super cool. And then 30 days later, somebody else is on the cover and it's kind of like, okay, well I want another cover or I want that. And it's just this, you realize it's like all your dreams come true. I actually told, I had some surf lessons yesterday and there's a 17 year old girl on the boat with her family she was a typical 17 year old girl, like kind of had the whole world figured out and her parents are dumb. And, and I said, I was like, Hey, I don't know what you want to do when you grow up, but I promise you, if God's not at the center of it, it's going to be miserable. Like, cause at the top, at the top, that's what we all do. Yep. We think, Oh, if I could be that celebrity or, and I'm not saying a wake athlete is a celebrity, but in my world, it was yep. like in my world, when I was a little 
eight-year-old, nine-year-old kid looking at Wakeboard Magazine, you know, there was no difference between Brad Pitt and Parks Bonifay. Like, they're both superstars. And, you know, so for me, it was like, that was it. And when all my dreams came true, it was pretty empty. It was like the curtains pulled back and it's smoke and mirrors. And it's just, you're looking for that next thing and nothing is going to fill that void that only God can fill. Right. So you, you got the, it, you're realizing that you've, you've uh, called yourself a Christian athlete, but you know, maybe not completely living that life. You're chasing glory, you're chasing fame, you're chasing covers and sponsors and, and living really in the world. Uh, which all of us do. It's it's so easy to do. Um, when when did that really start to shift? You know, this is fifteen years old. You get these big sponsorships. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're still competing at a high level. Tell us what happened next. Yeah. So what happened next is I was eighteen, and you know, in the middle of my career, had some really stuff going, good stuff going. Had kind of a rhythm with my sponsors and. At that point, the plan would be to ride this thing out as long as my body can take it as, you know, we have a lot of knee injuries in our sport, as you know, and, you know, kind of ride this thing out, hopefully till I'm 25, 30, I don't know, and then eventually go work for one of my sponsors. And that was right where God really started putting on my heart, like, hey, where do I and others fit into this you world? You're supposed to be working for me. And I had heard people say that, like, God spoke to them or God told them this, and I'm like a super... I don't know if what the word even is, but like, I'm not a very artistic minded person in the sense of like, I'm not like, Oh, God told me to talk to this person or God told me this. All the, Like I had, I looked at these founders of our faith and I'm like, man, sometimes God in the old Testament would give these guys direction and it would be years, 10 years later before they would hear a next clear thing. Like, Hey, you know, Abraham, Hey, you're going to have a son. And he's like, super old and then he's like trying to take things into his own hand he sleeps with his uh sleeps with his servant and it's like god wasn't god was silent in that time so i'm like man some of the biggest people in the bible like went years without hearing from god and it seems like god tells you whether you should have honey nut cheerios or captain crunch like so i always struggled with when people said god told me with is this a trump card or is it really god and for the first time in my life i felt like God was speaking to me and I didn't know how to handle it. Like the only way I could describe it is like, if you're a kid and you have like a big test the next day, like a midterm or something, and you're trying to like hang out with your friends or go to ice cream or go do something irresponsible and you're trying to enjoy yourself, but you have this like constant weight, like, Oh my goodness, I'm going to pay for this later. This is wrong. Like I need to go home. I need to get, you know, I've got stuff to do. And that's kind of how it felt. It was like, I was trying to live my life and I just kept feeling this pressure. Like, what are you doing? You're supposed to be working for me. You're supposed to be serving me. This isn't where you're supposed to be. And I I was just struggling. I was like, Lord, is this you? Or am I having like a midlife crisis at 18? Because (laughs) I kind of peaked out in my career and realized it's kind of empty. Like, and I remember just being like, God, I'm not trying to test you, but I just need to know I'm not crazy. Like, I don't want to throw my career away over like, I, I don't know, like unfulfillment in my psyche. And, um, so I, I, I prayed about this for two months and I had no idea, like I had no idea how I would really hear a clear answer. And I didn't tell anybody, I didn't tell my parents didn't tell my friends. Cause I was like, this is crazy. This can't be God. This is me. And, um, I just prayed like, Lord, give me something clear. Give me something clear. And then finally one day I woke up and as soon as I opened my eyes, I, I remember so clearly just staring at my ceiling and I'm like, Lord, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Like I'm making a decision today. And I was like, Lord, I'm not supposed to test you, but give me something clear that this is from you, that I'm supposed to go work for you. And if you do that by sundown today, like it can't be like, Oh, I saw a cloud that was shaped like a cross. Like give me something definitive. And I'll, I'll like, I don't know. I'll, I'll go to college for ministry. Like I didn't even know it was called theology at that point. I'd never even consi- really considered going to college. And, um, an hour later, I'm driving down the road, uh, actually to Scott Byerly's house to film for his video series that he was doing at the time called Volume. And I was going to film with him, and I get a call from this guy. You probably know him, Randall Harris. He's like an old school wakeboarder. He, yeah. He, uh, 
not the guy you think God's going to use to bring you right. to ministry. You know, he's tattooed to his fingertips, super gnarly guy. He lives the and, fast uh, Randall, life. Yeah. And, and, and Randall calls me and he's like, dude, what's going on? Just heard you went on a date last night. And I'd like, you know, went out with this girl's like probably one of my first official dates. And she probably wasn't the best for me. She was like 10 years older than me. And I just thought it was cool. And she was super pretty and older. So whatever. And so I'm trying I'm like, Oh yeah, she's so cool. Like, I think she's amazing. And this, and I'm telling him about her and he's like, just kind of cuts me off. And he's like, what's her relationship with God? Like, and I was like, uh, um, I don't know, Randall, that's a good question. Um, it was like an hour after I prayed this prayer and I'm like, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know. I, I think she's a Christian. I mean, she's a super nice girl and, you know, and if she's not, we could maybe do some Bible studies together. It'd be kind of fun. And he just kind of laughed at me. He's like, Matt, how are you supposed to be a pastor someday if you don't have a strong Christian wife behind you? Mm. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> dude, take it down like 10,000 notches. Like, what are you talking about? I was like, why would you say that? Why would you ever think I'd want to be a pastor? I don't want to be a pastor. And he's like, dude, I like, I don't know if it's a pastor or what, but I knew from the day I met you, you are supposed to be in ministry. Wow. And it was like an hour after I prayed this prayer. I never told anybody. I was like, well, that's super weird. I don't know why you'd say that. Like, that's a dumb thought. Like, <laughs> I was just like, so freaked out. And I was right. like, I gotta go. <laughs> and I hung up the phone and just immediately just broke down in tears, pulled my truck over the side of the road. I called my mom. I'm like, mom, I'm flying to LA tomorrow for this Arnett shoot. And then I think when I get back, I want to go look at colleges. I think I'm leaving my career. I think I'm going into ministry. Like, I don't know what's going on. And I sat in a cracker barrel that night and cried like a baby and told my mom the whole story. And uh, three weeks later, my life did a 180. I was sitting at a college, uh, dean's office telling him this story and i'm like i don't have a great prereq like i've never served at camps i've never like i've never served at like christian camps or like ywam or like been involved with nonprofits. like i'm an athlete that went to high school and that's it and i want to go to school for theology and um it was a struggle like i mean my focus in school wasn't grades and man going getting thrown into the lion's den in college it was it pushed me i mean i remember feeling like everybody was smarter than me, like getting to school and studying all my pulling all nighters for B's and C's and just like, Lord, this is really where you want me. I went from traveling the world with a career to being in the freshman section of the dorm in the smelly basement with, uh, you know, a roommate that barely speaks English from China and getting no sleep to struggle for B's and C's. And it was like, it really broke me. But that process was so important because I remember like at the end of that first year getting to get involved in my first local church and seeing people grow in their faith, seeing people make decisions for Christ, being a part of something that was bigger than me and being like, whoa, this is way cooler than anything I've ever done, any podium, any award, any prize money, anything I've ever done in my career. This is way cooler. Where did you go to school at? Uh, it's a university in Tennessee called Southern University, um, up near Chattanooga. Gotcha. And I mean, it was, it was an awesome school. It really, I mean, it pushed me. It was like a lot of these theology programs I looked at were more like get like a minister degree. That was like maybe like an 18 month program that was like their own thing. Mm. Um, but Southern was like a way for me to get, I was like, if I'm going to pay for college and go, I want like a legitimate bachelor. So, um, they were like tested up with some of these Ivy League schools. And, you know, it was a super hard program. I had to do, I did a major in theology and a minor in biblical, biblical languages. So I spent, you know, four years studying Greek and Hebrew too. And that like really, really pushed me, but I was really thankful for it. Yeah, that's amazing. So, so you get through, you go to Southern, you get done with college. Um, you came back into wake skating at that point. Yeah. So it's funny. I remember freshman year calling all my sponsors like, Hey, I'm going to college and expecting them to be like, well, it's been a good run and terminate my contracts. And as an athlete, they're paying you for service. They're paying you to get exposure for their brand. You're basically a billboard. So I was kind of surprised, but I didn't get dropped by anybody. They were all like, okay, well, we'll see how this goes. Like if you can stay in the magazines and in the summertime, you know, compete or um, keep going on film trips, like, we're fine. And it was, I remember it was like, right when I came to this point where I was like, okay, God, 
I'm giving it all to you. And I know it's all going away and I'm okay with that. It's like, he gave it back to me. Like I was able to support myself through school um, with, with my, having uh, to hold on to my career. My parents were so generous. They were like, Hey, we, you know, we, we paid for your brother's college and they paid for my tuition, which was insane. Um, and Bobby G and I got married two years into schools. And uh, so it, it was awesome. And it was like, I remember junior year, I was like, okay, going into junior year, like I'm probably gonna lose my sponsors now. I, I haven't gone to all the contests. I haven't made everything. And, and then I got um, a cover of Wakeboard or of Alliance Wake. It was Alliance Wake that semester. And I remember thinking, I'm all my sponsors are like, well, I mean, you got the, like, it was like every time I thought, okay, I might lose this, I would have a video part come out that would do really well or whatever it may be. And it was like, God just kept stringing me along and um, it was a huge blessing. And then we were four, fast forward four years, I'm about to graduate. And it was sort of like, okay, this is the end now. Like we're about to go into full-time ministry kind of hitting this turning ports in my life. I actually had a board. My last pro model board was CWB was a crossroad. It was two roads at a, at a crossroad. And, um, I was like, I want to put a Bible verse on my board and like a big corporate company like that was like, no, <laughs> um, we're not going to do that. And I was like, well, what if we did it in Hebrew? Cause that's, you know, I'm at a life change crossroad right now. And a big part of my biggest struggle and the biggest thing I'm going through right now is Hebrew is killing me. And they're like, yeah, that's cool. Like just looks like writing. It's almost like putting Japanese writing or something on something. So I put, um, Isaiah, I think it was Isaiah. I, I I'm getting mixed up now. 50, is it 53, five, but the one I was pierced for his transgressions. Uh, he was bruised for our transgression, pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities by his stripes. We were healed. Yeah. And it was that in Hebrew. And, um, so that was cool. They let me do that. Um, and that was kind of to represent like, this is my, this is my last hurrah. Like I know I'm about to go through this crossroads in my life and I'm leaving this industry. And, um, I remember it was the weekend before graduation. I had finals week was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Graduation ceremonies were Friday. And I had studied pretty early for my finals because I I knew that the first stop of the Pro Wake Skate Tour was that weekend. And I had this whole plan. I'm like, Bobby Jean, like we're uh we're we're moving back to Florida next week. And I said, What if we drove a U-Haul? We could probably fit half our apartment in. And we drove to Florida. Uh, I qualified for the tour. I probably won't go to the other stops, but it would be kind of a fun, like, last contest if I get on the podium, make some money. And then we'll come back to school. I'll take my finals, and we'll graduate, and, like, our new life starts. So I came to Florida. I'm the first rider off the dock. It's 2012. We've got a huge drought, and I'm competing at the Projects uh, Wake Park, which is a private lake. And it's a really cool lake to compete on because it's an oval-shaped lake, the pass and at the end there's a really narrow canal that the boat can go through um but it's not much wider than the boat it's a it's a skinny canal and then at the end of that canal there's like a pond so what's cool is it i mean it kind of shaped like a pond so what's cool is the contest pass the boat's going straight and then it goes into that canal and it turns around at the end where it opens up again so all the waves from the turnaround can never really make it back through to the pass so it's a really good lake to compete on um, so it's because always, of always really good water, smooth water. Yeah. But the challenge is uh, you have to do your tricks and then get right behind the boat while the boat's going through the canal um, because it's super skinny. So I knew how many tricks I could fit. I've competed on this lake lots of times. And I was edging in for my last trick and I knew it would be close, but I'm like, I could squeeze this in. And what they told me happened was I started to cut into the wake and the wave curled and they said, I just called for a speed up and then I kept edging. And I, I guess I never checked how much ground we had covered in that little interaction. Cause I remember edging into the wake and just saying, okay, I'm going to do a nose grab front side 360. And then it felt like one second later, I had a team of doctors surrounding me telling me not to move. And um, the driver said in the air, he knew that I was going to land on the shoreline, which in Florida, we don't have rocks. And because the boats would go through fast there, um, there's a construction company next door and they had 
allowed them to dump construction debris. So there's like broken up cinder blocks and sidewalk and just to keep that erosion away. So I hit basically a rock wall. The boat's going 20, 21, 22, and you can as much as double the boat speed when you're cutting. So my body's moving conservatively 30 miles an hour. And I basically slammed into a rock shoreline. Um, I collapsed my skull in 13 places. I got 16 screws and three plates to rebuild my face and nasal passage. I broke my jaw clean on both sides. I dislocated my hip. I broke my tailbone and I broke my hand in five places. So there's a slight hiccup to our young <laughs> couple against the world going into ministry plan. <laughs> um, one, one last hurrah, right? <clears throat> yeah, one last hurrah. That's right. For anybody that's ever been like snow skiing or any of those kind of things, right? It's always... You, you go up, you go snow skiing or snowboarding and, and the day is going good. You're really, really rusty when you get started. And then, you know, through midday, you're starting to feel really, really good. And you always go, let's just take one more run. I feel great. And it's always that one more run that you end up hurting yourself immensely. Yeah. In, right. That's what we were saying in action sports. Two more skip the last one. <laughs> yep. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So obviously huge accident. You didn't just jump up yeah. and walk away from this no. up in the hospital. I mean, it was, it was amazing. Cause that accident, like, you know, I remember just laying in this hospital bed thinking, Lord, where are you? <laughs> like I just walked away from a super selfish career to serve you. And now I'm so broken and I could spend the rest of this podcast talking about the ways that my world was broken and flipped, but, you know, and, you know, in concern for time, like basically I had, you know, lost a semester of school, no way to graduate. Our apartment lease was up that weekend, nowhere to live, no way to empty my apartment, like no money, any money we had, we we're college kids and any money we had was immediately going to go to these medical bills. And it was like, I was using a walker to walk because the way it broke my tailbone, it pushed my hip out of the socket. So super painful to move. Um, couldn't really sit down, had to lay on my stomach, couldn't really walk. And my jaw was broken. So usually when you hear about people's like jaw wired shut or broken jaw, they drink through a straw. But because I also collapsed my nasal passages, any suction could shift the bones of my nasal passage. So I actually couldn't even drink through a straw. I had to basically pour liquid down my like my teeth were closed, had to like pour smoothies into my mouth for four months, couldn't eat solid food and couldn't use a straw, um, couldn't walk. So the it was the most broken I had ever been by a long shot. And I remember thinking, man, I just spent four years studying God's word. And I think I still had a big picture vision of God, like the fall of man happens and he creates this uh, plan for salvation. And there's a lot of pain and brokenness in the middle. But what I learned in my recovery was this super personal God that cared about the little things, that knows how many hairs we have on our head, that knows our needs before we ask him. Because it was like, I, I thought I was even, while I was going through school, my heart was changing and I was relying on the Lord more. But I think I still relied on myself a lot. And now here I was, this like broken, feeble, helpless thing. And I watched God step in and be like, I'm right here. Right. I'm right here. And it was like, before I could even think to be like, well, what about, well, what about this? Well, what about this? It was like, Oh, Hey, your parents are going to open up the home and you can live there. And this person's going to give your wife a job and your school board is praying about what to do. And they've never done anything like this, but they're going to allow you to graduate without taking your finals. And this person's going to let you. And it was like, boom, 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 boom. Mm. Like God just provided for our every need. Yeah. And I just remember thinking like, Lord, I don't, I know this is the biggest, this will be my testimony. This is the biggest struggle I'll ever face. Um, but whatever I face for the rest of my life, I'm going to serve you and I'm going to trust in you. And um, little did I know that was really preparing me for the storm ahead for the thing that would forever change my life. Right. Which they say that God does that a lot for us, right? Like the struggle we're in now, what we feel now is preparing us for, for what's coming next. You know, he's always working in our lives. And it's important for all the listeners to remember that, you know, he may feel so far, far away, but he's right there with you and he's, he's got a plan. So, um, the, for all the podcast listeners right now, this is just, just getting good right now. Um, Matt, let's step into the next thing. Like you, you, I mean, 
I've heard yeah, the story yeah. that a lot of the listeners have not heard the story. Like it, it, most people, like when I first heard your testimony, you say, how could it possibly get any worse than that? Like you pretty much just, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and you survived it. But then. Yeah. So, so I had an eight month recovery, um, six to eight months. And like I said, I was fully recovered physically, but emotionally, spiritually changed forever. And it's crazy because we were a week from basically walking away from my wake career um, and going into ministry. And now here we are, we spent the last, uh, we're fast forwarding since my accident, two years. So it's like we spent about six to eight months recovering the last year and a half, getting back on our feet and just trying to get our feet under us. And um, uh, ministry gave me this job offer um, to help tell athlete and musician testimonies and to travel and share that at camps and schools and underprivileged kids. And I signed, I accepted the offer, prayed about it, accepted. And a week later, I was actually helping my wife was an administrative assistant at a church and she uh, had heard the pastor and her boss talking about, Hey, we need the trees trimmed around the sidewalk. And she's like, Hey, my husband, like, you know, he loves, he can, he can work bobcats and stuff. And he loves, like, he could, he could come help you guys out. So, you know, I talked to them and I went to help trim trees at the church and we didn't realize that five, that uh, linemen and tree trimmers use fiberglass insulated buckets. And we rented a regular high reach, like a steel high reach. And I got up to trim these trees and the power line that powered the whole block arced over and I got 14 to 21,000 volts to ground, um, run through my body. And, um, it was, I mean, it was pretty horrible. Uh, Bobby Jean was at the scene and she said, you could see my, like, it looked like something from a comic like book of like, you know, some like mutant thing. It was, uh, all charred black all over my chest and arms. I had fourth and fifth degree burns, um, Immediately, my rib cage, my left rib cage was completely exposed. You can just see all the ribs. My sternum bone, my clavicle bone was exposed and hanging out. And the rest was all just burnt muscle tissue that was just kind of hanging out from my chest and arms. Um, the skin was gone immediately. So a lot of people have heard of third degree burns. They haven't even heard of fourth and fifth, but third degree is where it burns through the layer of skins. Fourth is skin. Uh, fourth is where it starts burning muscle tissue and fifth degrees where it starts burning bone. And even in small concentrated areas, fifth degree burns are usually not survivable unless you amputate that if it's on an extremity right away, because um, it kills all of the tissue um, up to that bone and then part of the bone. And when your blood flows through that dead muscle, it basically poisons your own blood. So your, your body's killing itself. So it's filling your kidneys and heart with poison essentially. Um, so they Bobby Jean was at the scene and they held her back, held her back. And eventually they're like, Hey, he's dying. And she's like, well, I have to say goodbye right now. I want to do it while he's here. And, um, she came over and, uh, she said, she said goodbye in the best way she knew how, uh, you know, I was unconscious and convulsing and coming out and in, and, uh, she was pregnant with our oldest, with our first. Um, so she was, facing that she was four months into this pregnancy and realizing she was probably entering motherhood as a single mom now. And, um, they got me to the hospital and they were amazed. They were still a heartbeat. I'd slipped into a coma at that point already. And, um, they took me in for that first surgery and, um, eight hours later, they were still working on me. You know, they thought it'd be a few hours. They'd know something. And, um, afterwards I was in a coma. I was far from stable um, those first few days they were doing surgeries every other day or every day going in and removing muscle tissue that had died and turned black and trying to, you know, give me, uh, new blood and get rid of my blood. Cause it was turning to poison. And, um, luckily I was at a hospital that I have a pretty rare blood type. It's kind of funny. It's, it's B positive. <laughs> I think I'm sort of a positive guy, but, um, but they, they had a lot of it, which was important. I've had all the blood in my body replaced almost. Uh, well, I mean, your, your body has like six quarts of blood and I've received over 41 uh, units. So I've gotten a lot, <laughs> a lot of blood. Um, almost seven times. Yeah. But uh, 
So they, uh, yeah, they, um, they were really honest with my family early on. They said, um, you might, he might have a few hours or a few days, but he's dying and we're going to keep him comfortable until he does. And, um, if he somehow wakes up, if he somehow lives through this, we know your people faith. If you get your miracle, um, that's great. But even if the best case scenario, all of the scans at that point showed no brain activity, really, um, all the electricity exited through the front and the back of my head and ran through my brain. So, you know, they, they, they knew that that was gone. And, uh, they kind of told her at best, if he got his miracle, um, and he somehow lived, he would maybe function like a two-year-old one day. You could teach him a few words and teach him to walk, but Matt's gone. Um, they, um, they were really honest with me when I woke up. They cleared the room and one of the doctors, you know, they, they realized I could communicate, which was like, that was a miracle in itself. Um, and one of the doctors, he said, Matt, we don't really do this like this. Um, but I need to be honest with you. He said, your, your kidneys and heart are filling with poisonous blood from your own body. Your muscles are dying at an incredible rate. We're removing more muscle every day. And at some point in the next I don't know, a few hours or a few days, you're going to move towards what's called septic. And at that point, you'll have about four to six hours to live. And I remember just thinking to myself, like, man, doc, have you ever considered becoming a counselor? Because you've got really good people skills. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, on a serious note, like, I mean, nothing prepares you for that conversation. Um, facing your mortality way earlier than you expect. And and it was really in, in my mind, like if this story is true, the story of Jesus, the story that the Bible tells, which I believe in all my heart it is, that changes everything. Like that my death is one step in my life eternally. And as much as I selfishly want to be here, I want to meet my child. I want to provide for my family. I want to be here uh, to serve and uh, my wife, uh, to love her. And But I need to realize that this world is not my home and I need to be okay with that i need to be okay with the fact that if this is it that even if the worst happens god is still god and he is good and he will work all things together for the good of those who love him and that in this life or the next he brings full restoration to all things and um that's kind of the place i was it was like i'm not going to be somebody that you say you didn't want to know matt at the end he was scared he was bitter he was like I'm going to be me to the end and, and however I can, I'm going to pour into my loved ones. I'm going to be praying for my nurses and my doctors and serving the people in the hospital. And I sort of waited to die and, and never did. And it was a pretty incredible journey. I was in a coma for four or five days. And then I woke up and I wasn't ready to be up. So they induced me back in for a few days. I mean, the whole first, month is really a blur. I was sedated for a lot of it. Um, you know, so even when I was technically in a forced coma, um, or if they just had me sedated enough to where I was unconscious, um, I only have a couple memories from that first month. Just so just I'm curious, the, the time frame between the Wakesgate accident to being in the bucket, trimming the trees. What Two time? years two years difference so yeah. finally i mean from the accident really probably just starting to get up on your feet and really starting to function again from the accident Is that fair to yeah say? i mean that that's for sure i mean we were you know six to eight months recovery from the wake skate accident to where i was like okay i could work i could do something and um i was just kind of doing odd jobs and trying to figure out that next step and praying about it and it was like i got that job offer from this is my story uh which is a ministry and and I accepted the offer and then it's a, it was a mission raise support job. So I was going to have to start, I had about two months was the plan to raise money um, and get supporters to support Bob G and I in full-time ministry and through churches and friends. And um, I, I signed that paper and a week later got electrocuted. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah. it's, I mean, it, it I guess I'm speechless for the first time. Uh, it's, it, it takes a lot to get me speechless, but like, what else do you say? I mean, if yes, you know, so we went from, you know, your Instagram 
still says the wolf within, but we often hear you called Miracle Matt. And there's so much truth to that. Like you are one of God's miracles. And, you know, I told Ben here in studio with me before the podcast has kind of given a brief overview of who you are. And, and I think the biggest thing of who you are is, is you are, you are one of God's gifts to so many people. You reach so many people. You've, you know, furthered my faith, you know, hanging out with you, spending time. Uh, we recorded Matt's testimony as well. We're, we're almost done editing. It'll probably come out about the same time on our YouTube and uh, Instagram, Facebook channels. Um, but you've just been so influential in so many people's lives and just carrying the faith and you, you are a miracle and a blessing from God. And we're, we're grateful that you're here with us still. And, and so grateful you can be with us. Um, thank you. Yeah. We're, we're kind of running out of time today, but I always want okay. to leave it open. If, if there's anything else that you want to say that's on your heart right now that you want the listeners to hear, whether they're kids, adults, people struggling, people, chasing fame whatever it might be what what's the one thing that's on your heart to tell them yeah so you know just to kind of wrap up the story i mean there's so much i could i could share from the hospital but like when you mentioned mentioned the miracle aspect i mean i could go on and on on things that shouldn't happen that did happen and you know they were sure they were going to replace my heart um or give me open heart surgery they were sure my kidneys were forever damaged they were sure the brain damage was severe. They were sure we were nine hours away from surgery to amputate both arms at the shoulders. And for me, it was like this question of sovereignty of God and God's fairness. Like that, that's the question. People leave the church because of it. They're critical of it. They can't subscribe to God who could allow pain and suffering. Um, and it's like, okay, so is God fair is the question. And I don't believe he is. I believe he's unfair, but hear me out not in a negative way because fairness is the thing that should happen does happen. And it, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. So it would be fair for God to say, well, you guys screwed up, you ate the fruit and it's over. That would be fair, but grace is not merited or not deserved. So it's actually unfair. And, but he doesn't stop there. You know, when I asked those questions of why is it that my arms were not removed, that my heart was not damaged that my kidneys were okay, that my brain damage wasn't severe. Why were the best doctors not wrong once or twice, but again and again and again, why? Cause we serve an unfair God that is crazy about us and it's not fair. It's not merited. It's not about me, but every once in a while he steps in this world and he says, this is still my world. And these are still my people. And I have the last say. And that's the God we serve, a God who's given us everything that he doesn't say, hey, I'm going to keep you from the troubles in this world. But John 16, says, you know, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And if he's in us and we're in him, then through him, we've overcome the world that nothing could separate us from the love of God, that that we serve a God that, yes, he has a plan for eternity, but we have kingdom living now because he's saying, hey, if you're ready. I'm right here to walk through this with you. And if it is this life or the next life, like I bring restoration that I will use all things for good. And, you know, when I look at my story, my company now is called beyond the burn. And it's off this premise that my burns and my scars are on my arms and chest for the whole world to see. If I take my shirt off on the boat to go wake surf with you, like you visually see my struggle, but some of the deepest scars are the ones that are unseen that are beyond those visual scars. And those are just as important. So I've had over 70 operations in the, in the last six and a half years. And some people are like, wow, you've been through so much this or that. And it's like, yeah, but you have too. Like, like, I don't know what it's like to lose a parent. I don't know what it's like for my parents to go through divorce. I don't know what it's like to suffer from anxiety and depression. And some of the things that you guys might carry every single day but God sees those scars and they're just as valuable and just as important. And are we, he's standing at the door knocking, waiting to walk through it. And are we letting him in? Are we saying, okay, Lord, I don't understand this. I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel right here now, but I need to trust because it's not about bravery. It's, it's not about courage. It's not about bravery. Like there were tons of fears and doubts and struggles within my experience at the hospital and my experience in surgeries. But what was bigger was a trust 
And, you know, the definition of trust is a firm belief in someone or something to be reliable and faithful. So it's not that the fears don't exist, but that there is a trust in God and his word to be reliable and faithful. And that's bigger than those fears. So I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're carrying. I don't know what you carried in if you're driving your car, listening to this or what. But I know that God sees it. And I know that we, we serve a God that wants to walk through that with you. But are we letting him? Because he's standing at the door knocking saying I'm right here. Yeah. Good stuff. Incredible. The, the, I love the, the anxiety and depression and so many things. There's so many things that everybody's struggling with. And ultimately we need to get out of ourselves and get into him. And God is there waiting for you. Like you said, the, the door is open. Um, we encourage everybody just to get closer to him. Um, beyond the burn map, Tell us a little bit how listeners can get a hold of you, can get involved with Beyond the Burn, uh, find you on social media and those kind of things. Yeah, so my social media is just my name, at Matt Manzari. And yeah, I'm, I, I try to be pretty active. You know, you, I would love for you to follow along with my journey. I'd love to hear from you guys. Like, shoot me a direct message. Like, tell me, you know, jump on Instagram, shoot me a message. Like, what are what are you carrying? What questions do you have for me? Like, I'm a pretty open book. And um you know, like I said, I don't, I don't compare, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, I don't compare scars. Like if I'm dealing with my next surgery and you're dealing with, um, you know, breaking your leg or feeling left out or bullied at school, or, you know, you just lost your job. Like we're both dealing with the most that we've dealt with. So I want to hear from you. Let me know how I can pray for you and serve you. Um, beyond the burn. We do a lot with that. I do, uh, you know, we just opened a, a new nonprofit operation, Wake Surf, and we, it's a way for us to serve our uh, wounded warriors, our active warriors, our first responders, and, you know, to take these guys and gals out on the boat and, um, and just give them a day and say, hey, we recognize the stuff that you guys carry around that even maybe you came back uh, from overseas and you came back in one piece, but not emotionally. Um, you know, it was, you know, veterans committing suicide every, every, couple minutes that really sparked that of like hey we should serve these people and um and and more than that i do cancer survivor events i do burn survivor events and then sometimes we just take people out who need a day on the lake like i know what it's like to spend a year in the hospital and the last thing on your mind is a day on the lake or a vacation and we get we look so inward and that's when we kind of wallow in our depression or wallow and you know so how do we break that pattern and and say, hey, let me remind you, life can be really fun. So with Beyond the Burn, I do a lot of, um, you know, that's a for-profit regular. Um, it's just my LLC that I run everything through. Um, but we do have our nonprofit Operation Wake Surf. I have Matt our Ministries. And, you know, we do a lot of fun stuff to pour into veterans, to pour into first responders, to pour into trauma, um, trauma or cancer survivors, and um, just pour into families. So, yeah, you can get involved. You could... Go to my website, beyondtheburn.life, which is a little different. I just like that it was life. Um, so beyondtheburn.life, you can check out more of my story there and um, follow me on social media. And and I don't know, hopefully, you know, I, I tell people I share my journey so you could see yours. I hope I share enough of my story to give credibility that, hey, maybe I maybe I do get it. Maybe I, I know what it's like a little bit to suffer and to go through some struggle. Um but I, that's really, it's just to give context that I hope maybe you jumped on this podcast to thinking you're hearing a story about an athlete or a burn survivor or whatever you thought, but you left here seeing your story because I believe at our core, we all have the same story that we're broken, that we're in need of a savior. And that my story is one example of how God works in the good, the bad, you know, from a pro athletic career to complete brokenness and everything in between. And I hope that you can see that in your life that, um, you're loved, you're valued, you're bought at a price, and you have a story. Like some people don't know what their story is, or they might not feel like they have a story, but you do, and it's valuable. And as we open up and we're vulnerable and we share our struggles that maybe are hard to share, that we've never shared, whether we've been abused in our past, we've struggled with whatever it is, pornography, addiction, substance abuse, depression, like it's amazing how we start to open up and say, hey, I'm not okay or as okay as I make it seem and as we do that we start to realize hey I'm not alone and as I share my journey to help others see that um, we start seeing that 
there's a lot more people like us out there. Yeah. It's okay to be broken. Yeah. There, there is help on the way. So Matt, thank you so much for your time. Um, really the operation wake surf. We need to talk a little bit more on that on the outside. Some, some good friends of mine um, just moved to Tampa from Colorado that have the Parker's platoon, um, which they do a lot for, for veterans and now they're living in Tampa. So they're not too far from you. Um, mm-hmm. We'd love to connect you with the Parker's platoon and talk to Scott Parker and Francesca Parker. Um, I'd like to close in prayer today. Um, also remind everybody fastlifeministries.com to give to this ministry to keep us going with the podcast. Uh, check out Matt's story on our Instagram and YouTube and Facebook. That'll be up soon in video format. You'll catch uh, Matt in a little bit of the lake life, uh, catching him in his element, which was awesome. So take a look at that. And t- today we just close for all the listeners. We just ask Father God that uh, we just ask that this message can reach the ears that need to hear it, Lord God. We pray for all of our listeners and whatever they're doing today, Lord God. And we just pray that you continue to bless Matt and his family and keep them moving forward, delivering your word, Lord God. We just pray that you're with everybody and your Holy Spirit can rest upon us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, Matt, it's been awesome, brother. So good to, to see you here. Thank you for sharing your story as always. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll catch up here soon.